Hello, I'm Billy Shore, and welcome back to Add Passion and Stir. We are so grateful for our partnership with General Mills and the amazing support they have shown us over the years, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. Last year, General Mills donated over $2 million to support our relief and recovery efforts. We're so appreciative of the strong partnership we've had since 2016 and for their continued support. Today, we bring you the second episode in a mini-series where we're revisiting conversations we've had with chefs in the early, disorienting days of the pandemic. The shutdowns caused by the pandemic were devastating for the restaurant industry, with millions losing their jobs and thousands of restaurants closing their doors permanently. And still, despite the extreme challenges brought on by the pandemic, what we heard in these conversations in early 2020, when so much was unknown, was resilience and a commitment to serving others in need. Now, increased vaccination rates and federal support for restaurants mean that restaurants nationwide are welcoming back diners. But what does the reopening mean, and how has COVID permanently changed the industry? Today, we return to a conversation we had with Dan Barber, the chef and co-owner of New York City's Blue Hill and also Blue Hill at Stone Barns. When we spoke with Barber in April 2020, the shutdown was entering its fourth week. Barber had shut down all of his restaurants in mid-March, which meant an immediate impact on his staff. Wow. So you had, uh, between your two restaurants, about 200 members of the team. And I, and I guess like everybody else, uh, 170 of them or so had to be at least furloughed yeah. Uh, yeah. or laid off. Yeah. And these are folks, I'm sure some of them are folks that have been with you for a long time. Yes. Yeah. Very long. We've kept, we've kept the core group, you know, but the whole thing was like, you know, it's, it's that you, you as a chef, and I know you know this, you just, you, or as a business person or anything, you, you, you work your life or, you know, people forget, I think, or, or neglect to mention enough that part of what you're working towards is to work with the kind of people you want to work with. I mean, that's, that's the right. I mean, that's the payoff. It's more, it's better than the money. It's like you, you get to hand select uh, or self select as it were, when, when you, when you get to a certain level that is just, um, more gratifying than anything that happens to me in the career. And so I got to this point just in the last couple of years, really. I mean, it's a, it's a late inning thing. It's as it is for most chefs, you know, it just, okay, there it is. And I, I had, you know, a team of 46 cooks and most of them from all over the world. And so to end, to end that was to say goodbye to something that, that was, was, you know, a lifetime of work to build, not to say that it couldn't come back, but to think along those lines right now just seems, seems oh, too much for me. Wow. That, that's, you know, we've actually talked to a number of chefs and restaurateurs over the last few weeks and nobody has said it quite like that. That's such a poignant uh, way to think about it. It's, it's really moving to hear you talk about it because that is, you know, and I, I, I hadn't put words to that feeling before, but yeah, getting to the point where you are working with the folks you want to work with and you've built your company and your culture and you've had the luxury of being able to get the best people to come work with you um, and to have that go away is, Wow, that that stinks. I know that yeah. night, the night uh, we closed, I had this dream. Uh, we've all had very vivid dreams over the last uh, month or so, but but I had a dream that 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 that, the, that I was a long haul trucker or driving in a long haul truck, and and I just looked in the rearview mirror, and everything on the truck was emptying out on the highway, and I couldn't stop the truck. And, and then it just, and it and it's it's that it's that everything that I had stacked into you know, to deliver into the future was now being unloaded. 
And once the, the gate of the, of the tra- trailer had been unlocked and, and let loose, that was it. And my cooks were all, you know, at that moment, just immediately took flights back home. And I was just like every email text I was getting was like, I'm on a, I'm at the airport. I'm on a flight to Sao Paulo. I'm at the airport. I'm on a flight to Japan. Yeah. I was just like, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> I didn't mean for that to happen. And then, you know, and, you, and that's gone. And it just, in, in the span of 24 hours, just boom. Anyway, so here we are. Beyond the effect on his staff, Barber quickly realized the devastating impact the pandemic had had on small independent farms that supply Blue Hill. Barber's known for his commitment to working with local farmers and building his menus around locally sourced meats and seasonal crops that are raised in ways better for the land, what is known as the farm-to-table movement. The more than 120 local farmers and suppliers that work with Blue Hill rely on the restaurant for a significant portion of their income. Some of the farmers even have exclusive supplier arrangements with Blue Hill. When the pandemic shut down restaurants, Barber knew his suppliers and many others would be hit Hard. I got some some pretty frantic uh, texts and emails from from uh, not cooks but suppliers. You know, they were farmers, farmers that I've worked with for twenty years, farmers that we've supported, farmers that we've grown up with. As one farmer put it to me, uh, talk about poignant. You know, and and they they were like, well, you know, my my pigs at the slaughterhouse or my uh, you know greenhouse radishes are picked. <laughs> it's not like you can turn that faucet off. Um, unless you just don't return the calls. Um, so that's what launched uh, this box program. We called it resourced because I didn't just want to be in the box business. You know, I don't know. I don't know what the hell, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, to be honest with you. It's like, it's a whole new, you know, it's like telling a dentist to become a, you know, a heart surgeon. It's like, I don't know how to do this. And so I, I just, I, it was a desperate move, you know, not a conscious plan. We just wanted to, to get these farmers some revenue and, and to, to deliver on the promise we had, which was like we contract a lot of these guys and, and, and women over the years. And in many ways, we, we, we forced a lot of them to supply us 100%, you know, because I'm like other chefs, I get really greedy for the stuff that I like. I don't want to share it with other chefs. So I, you know, we, we commit to 100% of their farm or whatever they're growing. And then, you know, it's not really right. I mean, it's definitely not right. There's no There's no planetary system where it's right to say, you know, see you later because I'm. I, I had to try something, and so this is what we did. We, us, but also just anybody who loves to go out to eat is connected to too, whether you know it or not. And that network has been been shattered. And the effects of that are something that I wanted to look into. So we started resource in part to do these boxes, in part to create a consciousness through education about the kind of people that produce our food and the kind of people we want producing our food. Let's put it that way: the kind of people who are diverse and mostly organic and, and responsive to soil health and, and nutrition and therefore, you know, great flavor. And so these are, these are treasures, man. You did like, you know, everyone says farmers are treasures and they are, but these particular farmers are like the, the, the elites, you know, they're, they're the special forces and for, for the environment and the ecology. And, you know, you don't want to see that disappear. And, and what I've, so I wanted to launch something where we would have some uh, money, potentially raise some money, through the nonprofit Stone Barn Center, who's our partner in this, to, to investigate, you know, what, what is the landscape here? What does this look like for, for these farmers? You know, I can tell you that they're in trouble, but that doesn't mean anything if I don't have data attached to it. So, so that went, that just started like the second day in informal conversations I was having uh, driving from Stone Barns to Blue Hill Farm, which is my farm in, in Western Massachusetts, my family farm. And I just had two hours. I was just calling around to farmers, and, you know, what's going on? What, how does this look for you? And 
I just, I, I mean, it was, it was like, it was like listening to the greatest podcast you ever listened to. It just it was just amazingly interesting how some of these farmers overnight pivoted to retail sales when they didn't have it before. And some down the street couldn't find a retail market and like were sitting there not knowing what to do. And then, you know, other, it just was amazing all over the place. So, so then I just put some resources to it and, and raised a little bit of money to see if we could get this uh, into some kind of form that raises uh, awareness and, and, and that's where we are today. We're at 120 farms and uh, we're, we're headed to 120 farms with interviews and data. Hello, Ad Passion and Stir listeners. It's Billy Shore here. I'm coming to you today to ask for a favor. Share Our Strength launched Ad Passion and Stir in 2016 to promote conversations about food, justice, and society. In over more than 200 episodes, I've had the privilege of talking to some amazing people like Jeff Bridges, Pink, Anthony Anderson, Carol King, Ariana Huffington. And we've also talked to many of the most amazing chefs in this country. Daniel Hume, Mary Sue Milliken, Tanya Holland, Douglas Williams, and countless more. We're working on some exciting changes now to add passion and stir. And we want to hear from you about what you love about the podcast, what you want more of, and what you might change. You can find the survey at addpassionandstir.com. Just click the podcast survey button at the top of the page. Please share your feedback and thank you for helping to make this podcast great. Now let's get back to the episode. In addition to the boxes, which are still available, the Resource Ed program launched the Kitchen Farming Project, which encourages professional chefs and home cooks to plant a kitchen garden to experience growing your own food. Today, the Kitchen Farming Project includes more than 100 chefs and has an active following on social media. All of these efforts are driven by Barber's advocacy of how the pandemic threatens to destroy the role independent farms play in our community, food system, and culture. My first interviews, casual conversations with all these farmers was like pretty bright, except for Evan. It was pretty bright. It was like they had pivoted to, to retail customers. And, you know, because people were hoarding, it was like it was like three, five X sales Uh and people couldn't keep, you know, farmers couldn't keep stuff in stock. And it was at the, you know, a lot of cold storage stuff at the end of the year. And so it wasn't, you know, it's not like immediate disaster, which is how the media sort of painted it. That's not right. The disaster is when you ask a follow-up question, which is what I got around to realizing, because nobody was recognizing that that restaurants weren't returning. Uh, not even chefs, not even me. You know, I'm having trouble recognizing that. Like we're not returning to what we were. And, and so to say that your restaurant sales down 50% and markets down 50% is not hyperbolic. You know, that's, I think that's reality. I think that's actually conservative. And if that's conservative, well, where, where does that put you, farmer? And then, they, and then the answer is across the board, well, I'd be bankrupt. <laughs> but, but, but then they just, there's a silence. There's like, well, do you actually think that's what's going to happen? Like, yeah, man, I, that is what's happening. And we're, we're about to, to feel that. And, you know, if we don't act on it now, these, these people have no uh, cash flow to, to deal with and they won't take loans and you know it's not the culture is not to take a loan from the government it's not like that it's 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 got to be immediate action and it's actually an opportunity i think to develop a kind of system you know of a regional network anyway that is more resilient you know it's funny billy it's like if i had talked to you two months ago you you forgive me for saying that the farm to table network the good food network for which you've been a you know a supporter and advocate for your 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 whole career you know and we all have been i mean it's it's where the best food comes from but we would say you know that's the way to think about the future of food you know it's not these big mega farms it's an industrial agriculture all this stuff's going away 
And what we're looking at is a future where, you know, it's a direct connection with the farmer. Then comes COVID and what it reveals as it reveals so brilliantly is weaknesses. And it did not spare farm to table. You know, the, 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 the thing that farmed that, that the good food movement hung its hat on was the direct connection. You shake the hand of the farmer that grew your food. And that's the, that's the strongest chain possible in a food chain. Well, it turns out that's not right. <laughs> We're actually exquisitely vulnerable because you actually can't shake the hand of the farmer because you're going to get a virus. So you, you have to, that, that whole chain gets broken down overnight. And that shows you that the answer to the future is not as simple as we might have imagined. It's, and what I come away with is what I'm, what I sit in the middle of every day, which is I looked around yesterday in the afternoon and I was like, I'm not a chef anymore. I'm a food processor. That's what I do. I, I over here is the guy who's taking the ramps from this morning and he's fermenting them and pickling them. And over there is the guy who's breaking down one of those grass fed beef animals I was talking about. He's going to, we're going to make some charcuterie. We're going to make some sausage. We're going to cure and smoke and dry and, and also make some fresh cuts. And over there, there's a person, you know, doing the, 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 uh, uh, milk from Blue Hill Farm that we're, we're going to make into these quick cheeses. I mean, all every 360 around me, I'm a food processor, but I shouldn't be the food processor. We should have regional food processing. You know, we should have these people who uh, we should be investing in the kind of infrastructure that takes great food like the one from Evan, our, our pheasant guy and all the others, and turns it into to the kind of food processing that adds value, nutrition, deliciousness, and revenue. And our conception, westernized or American conception of, of uh, food processing is that it strips and denudes and denatures and denutrifies and makes something not only not delicious, but unpalatable. But that doesn't have to be that way. That's an American understanding of food processing. We need to return to what cultures and civilizations figured out for thousands of years, which is which is fermenting and pickling and milling and 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 all the other processes, malting and and, and distilling all those things that that bring the farmer's value into the system. And it also is resilient. It's a little inefficient because you don't have some, you know, big hog dude in, in the Midwest milling your grains for you into white flour. That's true. So it's going to be more expensive, but it's resilient in the sense that the next time, you know, a shock or a pandemic or whatever hits us, there's resiliency in the system to, to soak up that shock. And right now, even the farm to table movement and its simple chain is, is at a loss. In talking with Barbara and others, we hear a desire to learn from the experience of the pandemic and to use those learnings to create meaningful change in the industry. We'll see what this moment looks like and take a, a temperature, but I, I don't think returning to the paradigm of, of, of where we were just a month ago is, is, is the right way to reopen a restaurant. And, and maybe the restaurant needs to look different. Maybe it needs to have a different kind of purpose in the moment, uh, but I'd like to explore that, and 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 I'm excited to do that. I, I, you know, I don't. I'm I'm upset and depressed, but I'm also excited because there's a part of it that, you know, could could be uh, culture affirming as our cultural institutions, museums, and theaters, and everything else is at such a loss and will be for a, a long time. I loop restaurants in there, as I'm sure you do. They, they're cultural imprints, and they've taken over the cultural um, fabric uh, of communities for many years now. And, and maybe we have a role to play that uh, is actually more exciting and more imperative for the future than we would have imagined. So I'd like to keep that option open. For Barbara, this rethinking of the restaurant has meant stepping away from the kitchen to focus on creating a chef-in-residence program. 
In January 2021, Stone Barns Center, in partnership with Barber and Blue Hill Restaurant, opened the Chef in Residence at Stone Barns. The residency features different visiting chefs who create a menu, dining experience, and virtual education programming to showcase the farm through the lens of the chef's own cuisine and personal history. Now in season two, the residency program has hosted chefs Shola Olanloyo, Omar Tate, Johnny Ortiz, Victoria Blamey, Jorge Vallejo, Jonathan Tam, Adrian Cheatham, and Pamela Young. To learn more about the chef in residence at Stone Barns program, visit stonebarnscenter.org. And to learn more about the Resource Ed Initiative, visit resourcednewyork.com. And for our full conversation with Dan Barber and other Ad Passion and Stir episodes, visit adpassionandstir.com. Thanks so much for listening to Ad Passion and Stir on behalf of our team at Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign and our producers at District Productive. Uh, We're grateful for your listening, your support, your interest, and your passion for our work. You can find all of our episodes at adpassionandstir.com. You can rate them and rank them and subscribe and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. I'm Billy Shore.